Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. This episode is also brought to you by an app that I created called Still Believe. Still Believe transforms a picture in your home into video proof of your child's favorite magical characters. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy, leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film visual effects artists to transform your picture into video. Just tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the tooth fairy then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes, and you can then save it to your phone and share it on social media. The app is available for the iPhone and Android, and it's free to download. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Working Experience Podcast. On this episode, I speak with Mara Prose. She is an author, a screenwriter, a producer, a podcaster, and a proud mom. She wears many hats, and she's a really fascinating guest. Enjoy. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Don't need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. You stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was clipping his toenails at his desk. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Working Experience Podcast. I am very glad today to have the author, Mara Prose. Uh, she is an author of uh, two or three works here that I'm looking at. Uh, she's a screenwriter, she's an executive producer, she's a radio personality, and she is a proud mom. So welcome, Mara Prose. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I think we got in touch, was it through uh, Facebook, I think it was, because we have something up for the podcast. Yes, is, is it was. Happened? 
Okay. That is, yep. Um, we connected on Facebook. And then uh, you let me know about the work experience and coming on. And I went and did some research. And, you know, we've had some touch and go. And with everything just kind of going chaotic right now, we're finally connecting. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes. You know, everybody's uh, so busy with their other stuff. It's hard to make time for the creative stuff. But that's, I guess that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Making the time yeah. for it. Absolutely. It's, it's a constant juggle and reprioritizing everything and just trying to fit it all in when you can. But I think I, that's what keeps it so interesting. Yeah. And I was going to uh, say it kind of separates out those people who really want to do it and those people who, you know, sort of want to do it. <laughs> they kind of. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> I forget. Uh, someone wiser than myself, I think it was on Facebook, said or Instagram, said, uh, you know, don't say you have time. You do have time. It's just how you choose to spend that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. I, I, I exactly know that quote, and I use that a lot with people, especially when I'm mentoring other writers and they're asking me, you know, I can't find the time to write or how do I start writing you just have to start you really do you build it into your day and you go from there well you know I I definitely want to get into your process um mm -hmm. so I was going to start with uh your written work um I have you wrote uh the Davenports the um the Davenports and I, I didn't get the rest of the title down Sure. Yes. Uh, so the Davenports was actually my first. It's the Davenports, a battle of wills. And that is actually a series. Um, it's a suspense thriller series. I am getting ready to release book two of that. Uh, it's uh, father and daughter and grandfather and this big family fighting over this conglomerate. And it's just got lots of twists and turns and cliffhangers. I love stories like that. I got this idea 10 years ago. So to finally see it in fruition and have so many people ready for the next book is really, really exciting. Yeah, it's got to be very gratifying. It is. It is, especially. I mean, I and I just looked literally on something that popped up in my memories on Facebook. And it was when I was playing with the idea. And it, it was just today that I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, I had this idea 10 years ago. It's been a decade already. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's hard. I mean, I find it hard to write because you, uh, you're you not getting any immediate feedback. I mean, mm -hmm. I send out stories and never hear anything, or mm -hmm. it's like, thanks a lot, doesn't fit. So it's uh, people get to see the finished product. They get to see the book, but you know, knowing how much time and effort and, and the uncertainty of it all, it, it must just lend to that gratification of seeing it come to fruition, as you said. It does. And I, that's the main reason I went with self-publishing to begin with. It's because of that. Uh, you know, it, you have your audience, you know what appeals to you. And I really didn't want to go with trying to write to appeal to a publisher and what they're trying to market at the time. I felt like I could do my work more justice if I kept it with me and I know how to market myself. I, I know my audience, I know people and what they're interested in. And that is why I chose the route that I did. And I, so, I 
Chance. I'm sorry, I, inter I interrupted Oh, no, you. you're fine. No, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, uh, I guess before we get to process, who, and I think it was one of the questions here, um, who do you consider your audience? My audience really has come from, um, I would say it's more females, and they're probably between the ages of 35 and 50. I seem to resonate a lot more with them. They like the thrill of it. They like the cliffhanger. They like also one of the things that I've kind of coined for my own, what I feel like I'm going to be known for is that you really can sit down and I want, what I keep hearing is you can take my book and you can read it in one setting. You don't want to put it down. And mm. I purposely don't make them very long and, and drawn out, even though I want to. But a lot of people these days, they don't really have time to read. You know, they're either listening to it on Audible or they're, they'll start it and they don't finish it. And that was one of the things I really wanted to draw you in. I really wanted you to not be able to put the book down. So you, I, I don't want to use the word tailor, but you, you keep that in mind during your writing process? I do. You do? I do. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I very much when I'm writing, um, I'm always analyzing it. And that's really, I hate to say it, that's probably a lot of reasons why I miss my own self-imposed deadlines, because I'm always playing with, I just, I want to give you enough information that, you know, you're still feeling like you're involved in that book, that you're relating to the characters, that you really want to know what's next. But I don't want to give you too much to where you won't come back for the next book and see the continuation of everything that's going on. Yeah, it's always the balance, isn't it? You, you want to make the reader work, but you, you got to give them enough, not too much. Mm -hmm. but, but you have to, like a film, like you can't, <laughs> you can't reveal too much, but you still got to keep them engaged. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's a hard, hard spot to find, I would imagine. It is very challenging. Um, you know, I put me in mind of, uh, I've never read any of Terry McMillan's books. Um, mm -hmm. she wrote, you know, waiting to exhale, how Stella got her groove back. Um, but I heard her on NPR maybe two weeks ago and she was talking about her new book. And what struck me about what she said was she said, you know, she starts writing and she has no idea really where the story's going. Like she has to reveal it to herself. And I thought oh, that's interesting because I've heard authors have outlines of their, you know, entire book and they know the ending and, but she just uh, seemed very willing to let the story unfold itself to her. I, was, I, I watched her when she went live with that. And I, I found that interesting too. Um, you know, she was very adamant about, she just kind of goes with the flow. Don't ask her about a definite date because she doesn't know. I mean, she says, I'm not going to release the date. I'm not going to give a hint of a date. And I, I get that process. Um, and I really admire that. For me, though, I, I actually start out with an outline. There is something that I'm watching, I'm reading, I am witnessing just maybe just being outside on a walk and it triggers an idea. And then I come back and I take that and I, I write out that idea really roughly. 
And from there, I just keep thinking about it. And then I do have to build out an outline of my chapters. Now, do I always stick to those chapters that I've outlined? No, because it usually grows into something else. But for me, I do feel like I have to have that outline. Do you, because um, we are getting into process, which I'm always fascinated by, do you have a set time that you work? Do you have a set place that you work? I mean, do you say like, got to be at my desk at eight o'clock in the morning or three in the afternoon? You know, it's for me, there are definite times on my calendar that I set. I, my day starts at three 30. I'm a very much a morning person. So I usually am writing something, whether it's my blog, it's, it's working on a book or a different book idea. I'm writing something between three, three 30 and five while I'm getting ready to go to work and start my day. And then definitely in the evenings, whether I write or not, I am doing something in regards to my writing, usually between 6.30 and 9 o'clock. But honestly, when the book is starting to really come alive for me, so to speak, and the words are just flowing, uh, it's all hours of the night. There's sometimes I'll go to bed and I'll get up at 11 and I'll lose track of time and I'm writing until 4 o'clock in the morning. So it just, it, it just depends, but I definitely, there is always, always, um, I feel like I have to have a time carved out where I'm devoting some time to my writing every day because I do still have my nine to five. And I, I feel like if I don't do it every day, time will get away from me and then I'll start procrastinating and then one day will go by, the next day will go by and then, you know, it can just it'll be a windfall from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, a book called spark and it, it's, it's kind of a series of vignettes from people in different creative fields, writers, actors, uh, painters. There's a, a portrait painter, Chuck close, who said, yeah, this great quote I always loved. It says inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us show up and get to work. And I always mm -hmm. thought, yeah, that that's, I mean, I find if I, you know, I, I got to at least sit down for a while, even if I don't write anything and mm -hmm. sit with a, a pad and a pen or, and at least give myself the opportunity, I guess I would say. Exactly. Um, as opposed to sitting in front of the TV and thinking, oh, you know, just write a few things down. I, it, it is, I mean, to me it's work. So, mm -hmm. you know, enjoyable, but it's still, it has to be treated as work if you're going to get anywhere with it. Exactly. And I think that's why I, I tell people that too. a lot of my friends and families, they always want me to watch these shows and you've got to watch this and you've got to watch that. And I remember laughing at my coworker who a different coworker was trying to turn me on to a TV show and she was like, good luck getting her to watch it or even finish it. But the thing <laughs> is, is I, I do have good intentions, but you know, there's so much I, I'm doing right now. I, I have three different books in the process. And then with the films that I'm working on, and now I'm working on a, a TV episode on a TV show. I, I just would, I just feel guilty if I'm sitting there watching TV when I have all this writing work ahead of me. Yeah. When people talk about having Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, I mean, I have Netflix and I, I can't get to, I mean, 95% of it. There's, right. you know, sometimes a show will get my attention, but more often than not, I don't know, it's not very good. And I think 
do I need three more of these things to fill up? <laughs> I, mean, I feel like saying, where do you get all this time to like watch all these shows, you know? Yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I just, I don't have time. I would love to, but it's just, you know, there's so much to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, can you, you mentioned your other works. I was curious about the journey to Mara Prose because that's a, uh, it says poetic testimonial. Yes, that's actually, so I, I do uh, poetry, and that was more, I took, uh, I made it very visual, so it's like visual poetry. Every poetry has an image that goes along with it, and it really was the journey to who I am right now via poetry. Things that I, I've gone through, my own struggles. One of the things that has made my blog very popular is that I am very candid with my audience. I I do share my struggles and I share those because I want people to see that no matter what you go through, if you have a dream, if you have something that you want to pursue, yeah, you may be sidetracked for a little while, life may get in the way, but never start stop pursuing that dream. And that was the purpose of the, the poetry book. And that was another thing. The feedback that I got at that is a lot of people said, I don't really read poetry. I really wasn't interested, but I wanted to support you. And they said that they were just blown away because it, it just really spoke to them the way it was written and the way it was designed. And I didn't want anybody to just be reading poetry. I, I felt like I'm a very visual person. So I wanted you to have visual, I wanted you to, if it was painful moment, I wanted you to, to feel that pain when I wanted you to see when I also got to better and happier moments. And that is the, the premise of the journey to Mara Prose. And you, you felt poetry was a, uh, a better or stronger medium to, to convey that than just conventional prose? I did. And the reason why is I've noticed with me when there are extremely happy times in my life and there's extremely sad times, um, poetry just automatically comes to me. It will, right now, it's like it's this good time, I'm busy, and there is not a poem in my head. But when it's something that has kind of tipped the scales and it's, it's like, okay, this is really, really a strong feeling, then the, the poetry flows. So I did feel like to convey all of that that I went through, it was good. But I think also I use poetry still to um, have some ambiguity there. You know, you're reading it and you have hints of what I went through and the pain, but you still don't get the full story. And I still get to keep some level of privacy while allowing my testimony to hopefully inspire you to keep pushing forward i find uh poetry requires a lot more work on the part of the reader mm -hmm. I, okay. I teach high school english and uh i've had to unpack some poems um one i really love uh thanatopsis by william cohen bryan it's his oh, meditation yeah. on on death and it, it was it, it's uh when I first looked at it, I was like, what am I going to do with this? Like, I don't, it was assigned. Like I didn't choose it. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with this? And you know, the more I read it, the more I got out of it, the more I was able to, 
you know, one kid said, well, how is this supposed to make us feel better? And I said, well, first of all, not everything's supposed to make you feel better. However, I thought that poem did put death in perspective and whatnot. I just, you know, it was like convincing myself and then them, like, look, I had to struggle with this too. You got to, you got to put some effort into it. Uh Uh Uh-huh. So, um, and there's also an inspiration to love yourself again. Yes, it is. is. That's a separate work. Um, that is pretty much, that's included in the, in the journey to Mara prose. It, it's okay. more towards the end of it. And it is, it, it really is about, uh, developing your self-awareness, developing your self-love, uh, coming out on the other side. I think, uh, in our society today, from my perspective, you always get parts of the story and a lot of it can be doom and gloom and you see people struggling with the same issues and, and never addressing it. And I really just wanted something with my readers who I, I was posting poetry on my blog before that anyway, and they were asking for a book and I really didn't know how I was going to turn it into a book. And really a lot, what sparked the beginning of that book was my divorce. And from there, just growing through that and finding myself again and, and finding this voice and this courage to be Mara Prose, considering I've had this dream for most of my life. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, uh, I, I hesitate to put a purpose behind everything, but it, you would want it to serve as, as an example to people who are struggling with personal issues or also struggling to reach whatever goal it is they have in their lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That'd be fair to say. Okay. That's fair. Yes, absolutely. Uh, can you tell us about the screenwriting? I can. So it was uh, three years ago and I was still um, pretty much working on the Davenport and a director, uh, he goes by the name of Johnny B. He owns Texas Eagle Films. He found me also on Facebook, but he had seen my writing by just doing a Google search on something else. And he came across it and he asked me, would I be interested in doing a treatment for his horror film? At the time, I was very hesitant because I, I really didn't know what I would have to offer to horror. Never written it. Um, I had never written a screenplay or even done a treatment. I didn't even know what a treatment was when he said that to me at the time. Mm. But I thought about it and, you know, he just he stayed in contact. He was persistent, but he was very nice about it. And I said, OK, I'll give it a try. If, and if, if it doesn't work, the worst he can say is, hey, I can't use this. Right. No loss. And fast forward to we, I put together a treatment and um, it was probably about a year later, we kind of kept in touch off and on. And it was the end of last year, really, that around August, out of the blue, he sent me the short trailer for the film. And I said, oh, congratulations, honestly, I forgot about it. And I said, you know, when it goes to the theaters, I'll be there to support you. I am so proud of you. He goes, support me. He goes, 
And I have to be honest, I didn't open the trailer all the way, so I didn't really look at it. I just was like, I'm, I'm proud of you. He goes, you didn't see your name in the credits. <laughs> he's like, this is our movie. You need to be there. You know, he goes and, and uh, he goes, I've got the full script. I'm, I'm ready to go into uh, pre-production on it. And I was like, wow. He goes, yeah, we need you. So it's, we've, uh, until everything happened, of course, with uh, COVID-19, we were scheduled to go to different um, film festivals and showcase it. Uh, we were up for some short film uh, contests that we had entered. Now, right now, everything is on pause, but definitely as things are starting to open back up, we really hope, we were hoping to have the movie in theaters by December. And it's looking like December, 2021, but it's still coming. And it's oh, that's definitely, great. yeah, it's a, it's a horror, and I I don't know if I will actually go in and watch the full thing because <laughs> writing <laughs> is scary enough. But I, I I'm very proud of it, and it really has opened the door for me to realize that I I, I definitely want to do more screenplay. I think honestly, I'm I'm actually better at screenplay than I am even at just being an author. So you were pretty willing to step into a genre you were not terribly familiar or comfortable with and give it a shot I was because I I just felt like okay if if he didn't like it you know I wasn't going to take it as a failure because I was very honest with hey I've never done this but I will I'll give it a try and I knew too even in writing the Davenports and even in sharing my poetry um, I didn't want to be like just in one genre. I didn't just want to be in suspense. I don't want to just be in poetry. One of the books that I'm releasing later on this year is actually a romantic comedy. I want to try different genres. So this was my opportunity to do that. It's like a classic example of stepping outside your comfort zone. Yes. It was very uncomfortable too. (laughs) Did you, did you write with someone else? No, I did it on my own. I actually watched um, a lot of YouTube videos and taught myself about screenplays, how to write them, um, where to start, what they were looking for. I researched a lot with uh, like the SAG and, and everything else just to get an idea of, you know, the format and how I should approach this. And pretty much I just self-taught myself everything. Yeah, that, I mean, I can imagine a lot of writers saying, no, that's not my, I mean, I could sort of imagine myself saying, no, that's really not my thing and leaving it at that. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, those lessons, I mean, sometimes it sounds like a cliche stepping outside your comfort zone and then your story is why it's a cliche because that's what you need to do to <laughs> be, right. you know, step outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um so do you, you said you had other projects coming up, a romantic comedy sort of idea? I do. I have a romantic comedy coming up. Um, we also are looking at taking, I've actually had three different offers to take the Davenports and turn it into a series. Um, there's still just talks right now. I, I haven't decided which direction I want to go in. Definitely we'll see the, the Davenports parts on the big screen, big screen in some way. I just don't know exactly if I'm just going to go maybe a, a TV movie, maybe a TV series, or just do a movie. I haven't really decided. And 
the people that are offering, I haven't worked with them before. So we're still just in early stages talks. Right, right. Gotcha. Uh, and can you tell us about the uh, the radio? Uh, so you have radio personality, uh, you have a show and so forth. Do yes, I've had my radio show, which I've now just recently in the past two months converted it to a podcast, which is now um, you can find it on Spotify and iHeartRadio. Um, I've had it for three years, and it's called Prosy's Corner. And the premise up until now, which we are shifting it into a new direction, has been to bring on different people, kind of like what you're doing, Matt. You know experts in their fields, a lot of people, uh, filmmakers, authors, singers. Uh, one of the guests we had on when the Black Panther came out, the movie came out, he was the tailor on the Black Panther. Mm. And he worked with, you know, the costume designer that won the Oscar this year. So we've had just a, a lot of guests come on there. I decided to switch it over to podcast because I really felt like my audience needed to grow more and I wanted to reach more people. And the direction that we're going in now is we still will be interviewing guests, but we also will have more talks. I still am feeling that I need to share just some inspiration and motivation about, okay, hey, this is what I faced. Um, this is how I overcame. And Nikki, who is my co-host on the show, we really just want to have some candid talks about different topics. And so we're looking forward to bringing that on the podcast. All right. Nice. Um, could you, uh, you've mentioned, um, you know, challenges, things that you've overcome. And I, I asked this question because it's uh, a, not a reaction, but something you mentioned on your, your Facebook page, I think about challenges that black women face in as authors specifically and you know since you work in film you work in radio in the creative arena in general other areas of creative expression do you feel that there are challenges that are uh i don't know if i'd use the word unique but specific i guess i would say to to black women I do. And I think what it really is the challenge is that, you know, the the black experience is is unique to black Americans. I mean, to African-Americans. And when we're writing, um, yes, we can share our experiences, but it is, you know, very true that our experiences are different. And I do not feel like the urban genre has the respect that there is it, with any genre, you're going to have authors who are not that great at writing. And then you're going to have some that just are mind blowing and they're just fabulous for some reason in the urban genre. I feel like some of that has been drawn out uh, or the, the, the better ones have been drowned out. I should say. Like you do know the the Terry McMillans and of course the Tony Morrisons and yeah those are big names but there are also some names that are not more mainstream and they're pretty amazing, but I do feel like what hinders us is just not understanding completely what we're 
we're writing about. I, I like to use the example, um, my friend Teresa, and I had shared a video with her. Bill Dukes had put out a documentary, and it was about the struggles within the Black community about light skin versus dark skin and how big that is in our community. It, it's, it's a really, it causes a major rift. It's, it's very much, there's a lot of resentment and it's like almost an internal discrimination within our own race. She had never heard of that. She didn't know about it. When I sent her the video, she was blown away. So I think when we're writing about that, when we're sharing stories about that, it's kind of hard if you haven't lived it to understand like, what, what is this about? So I think that affects it. Yeah, I guess I would say from my perspective as a 46-year-old white man, it would, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it, but <clears throat> yeah, it is hard for me to understand it. I mean, from my perspective, I would say, what's the big deal? Like, why, why would that be an issue? Right. Well, it is, it is an issue. So yeah. uh, do you feel that, um, I used to teach in the South Bronx for about 15 total years. And uh, all of my students were students of color. And I got the distinct impression. I mean, I come from suburban Massachusetts, very, very different world. Um, but I got the distinct impression after, I don't know, two or three years having kids write essays that the girls in my class in particular, as young women of color, did not feel that their voices were given a lot of legitimacy. Would that, it, does that, I'd be interested in what you thought about that. I do agree with that. I, I do. Um, you know, again, it's, it's the stereotypes that are out there. And it's, for our experiences, it seems that the negativity overshadows the good. And I like to use the example of um, uh, Michelle Obama, you know, we feel everybody reveres her because she represents us well. She's smart. She went to school. She worked hard. She's a good mother. Um, but when we are depicted in TV, the, the stories that you hear, if you scroll down the New York Post, you're seeing more of the other side where it's the so-called angry black female. And immediately when encountered or when you're meeting that comes to mind that, am I meeting an angry black woman? So anything you say that you may just be passionate about could be misconstrued as you're being angry, an angry black woman, you're being offensive, you're, you know, you're just, you're doing too much or doing the most or, or whatever. And I think that's what frustrates us is that there are a lot of us who, we have a lot to say. We have short stories to tell. We have creativity. And it, it just gets drowned out by a lot of nonsense. And for me personally, that's what I find frustrating. Yeah, that's kind of what I sensed. Like, um, I'm not going to be taken seriously on, on two levels. You know, one, because of I'm a person of color. And another, because I'm female. And, um, I mean, just uh, last week, I interviewed an author uh, Dr. Kathy McGinnis, and she was talking about her, she works for the federal government in a very male dominated sector. And she said one time she got emotional, you know, and this mm -hmm. is army guys, they're not exactly military guys. 
and she was chastised for that, you know, because it was, it was some, it was a very tragic situation in Afghanistan or something like that. Like something you probably should get emotional about. And she was really taking a task for, uh, expressing frustration and sorrow about the situation. And it, she said it really kind of sidelined her for like six months. And I thought, geez, that, that's a very difficult way to try to go through your professional life, not being able to say what's on your mind and show, show your emotions. Exactly. And I, I think that's another reason why I really promote and I, I talk so much about authenticity because it is hard. You know, I saw a post, I think it was earlier this week, and it was asking, uh, why do uh, black women feel like they have to be hard all the time that, you know, not have, they can't be vulnerable, they can't have any feelings, because we're conditioned to be like that. The expectation is, and even as me being raised, it was, okay, you suck that up, you dust yourself off, and, you know, you better not cry about that. You better not be upset about that or whatever else. You need to act like nothing phases you and you just need to keep pressing ahead. And I don't feel like that's being authentic because we all are going to have emotions. And when you suppress things like that, then they manifest in other areas and it just becomes a big old mess that you will eventually have to address. But it is very frustrating having that expectation that we always have to be strong about everything. Yeah, and and it, it I guess can have unhealthy manifestations if you're not getting it out in a healthy way. Yes, exactly. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, Toni Morrison because I don't know, this is maybe 20 years ago. I picked up a copy of Beloved, you know, used copy, and it said Pulitzer Prize. And you know, at first I thought, I don't know, this is a black woman author. What am I going to get out of this? I'm not going to understand it. So, you know, but I, I start, I must've started that book seven times and I couldn't get past the first 15 pages. And I thought, I don't know, I guess this is just so far outside my experience that I don't, you know, it doesn't speak to me or I'm not going to get it. And then, you know, I gave another shot and I think I've read just about all her books by this point. It just, I finally got it. Like I got what the book was about and it's got nothing to do with, once I got into the story, it had nothing to do with her being a woman or a woman of color. It was just a really compelling story. Exactly. Yep. And that's all we're asking for, I think. Um, it's one of the reasons even why I have kept my characters. I describe my characters, but I keep it um, more ambiguous, I would say, to where I really don't want you to focus on that. I really want you to identify with the characters. I don't want you to see my book and think, okay, this is about um, a black female protagonist or, or anything about that. I want you to be engaged with the story. I want you to feel what the characters are feeling and follow them through that. So I never made a big emphasis on what they look like, what was their background, where, what was their heritage or anything else, because I just don't want anybody to really, really focus on that. It's a story. It's a story. It's a story like any other, well, not like any other story, but it's, it, yeah, I, I, I get we Like you want to, you want your audience to see it first and foremost as a story. I do. Yes. Not a story about fill in the blank or I, I'm always myself suspicious. And it's interesting that you say 
what you're saying because I've never liked agendas in film, books. I think about like American History X, which is a movie I didn't really love where I'm sort of like, I get it, racism's bad. Like I, you don't need to hit me over the head with it. So anything that comes at me with an agenda, you know, I'm kind of, I don't, I'm not comfortable with it. Let me say that. I want the story. Just tell me the story and let me make up my own mind. Same here. And that's exactly how I write. I had um, actually another coworker who had read the book and she was loving it. And then eventually she asked me, she was like, well, is, is Alessandra Davenport? I mean, I can figure out, is she black or white? I said, that's not the point. Yeah. I said, she, she really can be whatever color you want her to be. But I really wanted you to focus on, you know, her personality, her characteristics, her motives for doing what she was doing in the book. That's the big picture. But it's whatever you want Alexander Davenport to be. And I just left it as that. Yeah, that's really gratifying. That's really like it, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, what does it matter? Or, or somebody right. might assume she's white or assume she's black or, what, you know, assume whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. and. I remember I was teaching Huck Finn in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is a little rough, a little rough to teach. And I mean, the, the dialect is what makes it magnificent, but trying to translate that to high school kids who are not that interested in reading anyway. We're almost done with the book. And um, this kid who obviously hadn't read any of it, he said, I don't understand what's so controversial about two black kids floating on a raft. And I just paused and I said, Huck's white. Like, oh, what? And he, like, the book doesn't make any sense if Huck isn't white. Like, that's the whole point. <laughs> like, and then I thought, okay, I guess what is it? Yeah, what does it matter? You're right. <laughs> like, I guess he didn't attach any importance to any of that. And I thought, okay, well, I guess that's sort of a win. I don't know. <laughs> It didn't say a lot for my teaching, I'll say that. <laughs> but I thought, well, the audience is supposed to take what they, uh, you know, want from things, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. So what, um, your audience, what would, you know, after somebody listens to the radio show or, or the podcast, reads one of your pieces, uh, what would you like them to get out of it? Like, a, you know, a leaving aside an agenda or anything like that, like what, what would you like them to take from it? I really just want them. I am all about just motivation and inspiration. I really want them to take that and whatever in their life, there's always something in someone's life that they wish they could do or they, they have a talent for that they really haven't tapped into. And I'm hoping that something that I write in my blog, something I share on my podcast um, triggers you to say, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it too. Because I felt like that when I was watching, you know, I've always been fascinated with Hollywood. I, I've always watched the Oscars and had Oscar parties and the, the stories. I'm a, a huge movie fanatic. And, you know, there's just so many people that when they shared their story of how they got to where they were, those were the things that motivated me to say, you know what, I can keep going. And it's going to take time. 
or it may not take time. Sometimes you might be an overnight success. You just never know. But I am just hoping that I can share with everybody that, hey, look, I am doing this even with a demanding full-time job. I, I work in IT and oil and gas, you know, mm. so there's, there's long hours and then I'm still writing. And then I have a daughter who is going to college this fall and I have a son who is 16 and he's going to be a junior in high school. If I can do it as, you know, a single mother of two with a demanding career, but yet I'm still managing my own publishing company and I'm, I'm writing for films and TV shows and producing and producing different shows and writing books, then there's got to be something that will trigger and resonate with somebody else who is just sitting there and wanting to do something, but they're afraid to do it. You just got to step out there and do it. It's possible. You know, I feel I, I ran a, a half marathon a couple of years ago. And for anyone who's known me that if you don't believe in miracles, that was a miracle that I ran 13 miles. So wow. when I, when that someone makes- says I'd like to run a half, I'm like, look, I have taken all the excuses away from you. If I did it, I mean, come on, you know? So yeah, with all, all your stuff going on, well, we said at the beginning of the podcast, people say, I don't have time. Well, you do have time. <laughs> you may just, you can't watch that television show for an hour. Yeah. You got to go work on your, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, since you mentioned films, I love the movie Taxi Driver, Paul oh. Schrader, Martin Scorsese. It's oh, one of those, I, what are you saying? I was just saying Scorsese is one of my, I'm a huge, huge fan. There's nothing he that he's ever done that I have not loved. And that is one of my favorite movies. That I, is I need to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm listening. Um, I, uh, it's one of those movies, the first time I saw it, I didn't like it because I thought it was going to be something else. Mm-hmm. And then much like Beloved, and it, it just, I was like, wow, this is just so fat. Like I've listened to the commentaries on it, Paul Schrader's commentary. It just, it, you know, it utterly fascinates me. The whole genre of New York in the 1970s when it's so out of control and, and all of that. So if there's a movie that you had to say, I never like to ask people what's their favorite movie because I, I, I can't pick one. But, you know, a movie that really speaks to you, what, what do you think about that? Oh, gosh. There's, there's really so many. But I would say what immediately comes to mind and it's because any movie that has a very uh, deep realistic character studies I love I would say the Godfather mm. I it was just the dynamics it was it was watching Michael's transformation his struggle with okay at first in the beginning you know I'm not gonna have anything to do with this family I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna make my country proud and then you know by the end he's he's very deep into it and his whole personality changed and to watch that transformation and the dynamics he had with his father and the and and just the the acting in that film and then I of course I read the books too it it, it was just fabulous the dialogue I, I only hope I can write something like that and then be blessed enough to bring it to life on the screen and it be a, a classic like that that usually 
the book is way better than the movie. That is the only movie and book I can think of that hold equal stature. I agree. I, I can't think of anything else. Like, I love the movie Goodfellas, but I, the, I, the book Wise Guy that it was based on, I mean, I just tend to like reading more, I guess. And it, whenever I then watch the movie, I think this is not how I envision this. The Godfather, it, it's, it's astounding. It's astounding. Uh, how, yeah. And yeah. I love reading, you know, like Francis Ford Coppola was 26 years old. He was going to be fired from the movie. Uh, Al Pacino was going to be fired. He'd never really done a movie before. And like when you hear about Coppola's struggles and you yeah. listen to his commentary when he's like, people tell me how much they love the movie. And he's like. I would have loved to have heard that when I was about to be fired from the production. <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't want Marlon Brando. They didn't want no. Al Pacino. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of it, it, it. It's amazing how it came together. And I was blown away when I when they did. I, I don't remember where I saw the documentary about it. And they were explaining all that. And I just could not believe it that all of that was going on and, and how torn they were. And, and, you know, they, especially on the casting, it, it just seemed like the casting was so perfect. And to think that they had reservations and, and there was arguing and fighting back and forth. It just, you never know what goes on behind the camera. You really uh, don't. Apparently the head of Paramount said, Marlon Brando will never be in this picture. Yes. And Coppola it pulled a screaming fit apparently mm. in the meeting mm-hmm. and it's just all the fights he had with the director of photography and yeah. it's, it's amazing. It got done that exactly. it got completed at all. And <laughs> you just have to give that guy so much credit for being like, I know I'm right. Mm-hmm. I know everyone says I'm wrong, but I'm right. And, and I think was. that's one of the things I, I really have admired about him. And I hope that if I've ever faced with something like that, that I also would be that strong to say, no, this is my vision. This is what I see, you know, and, and take it or leave it. Because a lot of people, I think, that would be faced with something like that, they just wanted to get the movie done. It, it's more about, well, let me just cave in. And to, that he didn't to me, was so admirable. And that's why I've always admired him to this day. It would be hard if somebody was dangling a hundred grand in front of me and said, hey, yeah. I just want you to meet. I'd be like, yeah, maybe I can let this one go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I can, I, yeah, I would hope. I would I would really hope. Uh, but I guess, I, I guess I'll feel honored enough if I have to even make that decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, I if do. I'm in that position. But uh, well, this has been great. Thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. All right. Well, uh, author Mara Prose, uh, executive producer, radio personality, proud mom, uh, host of Prosy's Corner. Is that the name of your podcast, Prosy's yes, Corner? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And uh, poet and prose writer, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media and the Still Believe app, the only app that delivers video proof of the Tooth Fairy and Santa by simply taking a picture. 
Download the app at stillbelieve.co today and amaze your kids. And if you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.